What's up, Drew? Hey, it's my birthday. Happy birthday, <laughs> Melody. Happy birthday. Yeah. Welcome to How College Works. Today we're talking about Melody's birthday. Yay. Mm. No, so. we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a really cool set of stemless wine glasses. Stemless? Yeah. That have, it's just a bowl that sits, yeah, in, a, you just hold it sits in a ring? But that's not the best part. The best part is they have Boston Terriers on them. Naturally, um, that would be the best part. Yeah. I'm super stoked. Yeah, stemless is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. He acts like he doesn't even know what that is. I don't drink wine. Yeah, but I was going to put Diet Coke in it at lunch. <laughs> that super classy. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have Boston Terriers. Sounds appropriate for Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So I thought we'd talk uh, today about, uh, because we're always behind the times, and therefore uh, figured uh, we looked through this uh, Slate article what kinds of cars do the administrators drive? <laughs> I actually the, noticed I, these I, things, I though. Is that the title? That's the title. Yeah. The, the I mean, subtitle, the questions you should really ask on college tours. Oh, I guess that's a boring title, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got, got, yes. me, got me the hook on the administrator cars. So they have they have nine things here to, to look at and, and ask about. Side, so, side question, real quick, before we start, what kind of cars are in the parking lot that you can see out your window right now? I can't see a parking lot out my window, but they're like Bush era Hondas. Um, there's a Dodge Caravan. Um, there's a couple of Toyota Corollas. Is that a Ford Ranger or? No, that's a Ford F one fifty. Okay, yeah. Um, and a couple of SUVs, and I see a Prius. L low. Low range SUVs. So if we had oh, yeah. a comment section, it would be blowing up right now about these cars. Yeah. Well, like I have noticed that we have several Prii. I think Prius is technically correct, but sure. Prius. Whatever, you know, it's a big debate. But like we do have several people who drive a Prius. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. There's like what five or six people. That's probably about right. Yeah, yeah. which is a lot given the size of our people. Right. I mean. Let's do the question first, and then let's come back. Yeah, because like, why do I care? Like, why, what is it going on here? So, number one, before leaving the parking area, gather some data. Find a faculty lot and an administrator lot, which are usually labeled on campus maps. What kinds of cars do you see? Are faculty members driving Bush-era uh, Hyundais and administrators driving Audis? This would be a bad sign. Another clue is whether students park illicitly in these lots. Look for out-of-state plates. If they do so flagrantly, it could indicate a culture of privilege, though all college students like to bend the rules to some extent. If not, it shows that campus security is regularly on patrol and maintains campus order. Huh. We are, I feel like we're setting up some false dichotomies here. Right. We should, we should point out that this Slate article seems to be aimed at the parents who are going to tour campus with their oh. juniors and seniors before... Before, yeah, you know, the, right. The, right, before okay. matriculation. That's the technical term for when you actually go to college. Yeah, so this is when you're doing the big old family weekend tour Tours, thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's a fine thing to look at, I guess, but you have to be careful about, like, oh, sweeping generalizations. Well, an administrator at a big school, like a big state school, will get paid a lot of money because they have a lot of work to do. It's not yeah. like the chancellor at UW-Madison is, like, kicking back playing golf all day long. They have a lot of school they need to manage, you know, and so... I guess uh, that's one, like, if the president of the university rolls up in a, in a beater, um... Is anybody going to really believe that this is a legitimate school, or is this like... I wouldn't. 
<laughs> like, what, what, is this, what is this fake school that you're running here that this jalopy is what the president Unless runs? you know that's part of their, like... Their whole persona. Yeah. Like, oh. So we have a colleague who drives, like, a 1991 Mazda. It's technically a classic. It is. Am she I looked, that old now? Yes, yeah. I don't think I can. I think it's 25 years or older. But the whole thing is... Well, it still drives. Why would I pay, have a car payment if I can drive this? Which is fair. So there's some level of practicality that doesn't apply to that. Right. Well, and I was thinking, like, some people, not in their job, but in their spouse or their family, have, you know, like, Mercedes-Benz oh, oh. money that, you know, and, and if they can and they want to enjoy that, there's nothing wrong with them indulging let's, in a nice car. Let's, like, refocus a second, because this is trying to set up that there is a decent proxy for the quality of education by looking That's at true. the arrangement in the parking lot. And I get the idea of like, when I went to undergrad, um, the parking police would ticket you like in 10 minutes if yeah, you were yeah, in the yeah. wrong lot Me and too. didn't have the right sticker. You know, yeah. you, were, you were setting up for a huge ticket. Uh, and it wasn't like you couldn't park there and run in and no, no. your paper and run yeah. back out they would be on you man they were and you never saw them they were ninjas <laughs> they're like hiding in bushes i swear yeah i mean well, and what does that say it just says that your parking security is good that doesn't say anything else because it's not like those are the people running security on campus usually writing the ones writing parking tickets. no it's lots of times students like yeah. like the, the carry the little meter the, things around and print out tickets the meter dudes not just dudes, but yeah. Well, I didn't want to say meter maid, because that, that's the stereotype. How about meter person? The meter persons? Yeah. But it's like, I mean... It, that's what we call it. Yeah, it could indicate something, but I think it's... I think there's a whole lot more that can go on yeah. to the, make the any decisions. This, this little number one bullet point is that, that we can use this as a proxy, and I, and I disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's strong enough connection. I mean, I guess if I pulled up and every car was either a Mercedes or a BMW, I might notice that. I mean, if I'm seeing a bunch of, like, on their last wheels cars in the faculty lot and a whole bunch of gleaming Audis in the, in the administration, I'd be like, there's some major disparity here in, in the standard of living between these two, two groups, and maybe I should think about that. I mean, why, no, why no American models? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, Cadillacs. What are American luxury Escalades, cars? whatever. Okay. Is Lexus American? I don't know. I, okay, clearly not a car podcast. Not, yeah, not, that's okay. a different podcast. Yeah. Okay, number two. As you cross the quad, you may notice students playing ultimate frisbee. Mm. Ask them if there's an organized team and if they are competitive. Club sports like frisbee and rugby are often important social outlets on campus, and their competitive success can indicate strong social subcultures. It can also indicate ample financial support uh, for social activities outside of frats and varsity sports teams. I don't like this list. <laughs> We're only two in. <laughs> I know, but I'm already like, boo. Here's the thing. If I'm a parent touring campus and I ask the ultimate frisbee kids, and a question, I want to see the manner in which they respond. Are these nice students and they're polite and whatever? Because that's the culture on campus. If they're just mm -hmm. on break and chilling and relaxing, stress-free, and they come at me all rude and, hey, a few, I'm trying to do ultimate frisbee. That, you know what I mean? Like that shows the culture off more so than like, is there a traveling ultimate frisbee? Or nowadays I'm hearing about uh, Quidditch is a legitimate yeah. sport yeah. on campus and touring travel teams and all that. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I think for me, more importantly, like, is there sort of a vibrant kind of uh, 
scene in order to like do that sort of thing. Not that it's competitive, not that it's necessarily funded by the school, but you know, if you want to have be able to relax and find some outlet, then the question is not is this a competitive school sponsored team, but rather are there a lot of options and are people like you say, like are they relaxed and chill and nice about playing it as opposed to you know, I would I would assume that a competitive team will be much more selective about who they allow to come on and much more focused, like, not as a stress relief, but as, like, a thing that you do that may be yeah. more of a stressor. Is there, like, intramural? Like, obviously, yeah. when I was in school, I, I wasn't, um, when I traveled, I was traveling with the band, so that was a separate setup, but, like, I didn't have time to go travel with the sports team or the, or the pickup team. So how many intramural pickup kind of opportunities are there? And you, uh, we had a, a Division One um, program at my school and a lot of uh, a handful of sports. I don't know. And so the basketball team's one thing, but we had a, a second and a third gym that you could go to and just hey, it's Saturday, it's 7 p.m. Let's a couple of guys in a basketball go play some some ball, and it was available to us when we needed to de-stress. So yeah. well, I remember when I was in grad uh, grad school, I'd go to the gym a few times a week, and the gym that, that my wife and I tended to go to, there was like four basketball courts yeah. inside the track, and it's an inside track, and, you know, and so you know, we'd be doing cardio or whatever and, and our own thing and like watching the guys play pickup basketball, and, and it was obviously like it was vibrant, they were always, someone was always going, and you could see the way that it was structured, like we called them like courts one through four, and like court one was like just some people fooling around, and court four was hard like those guys were playing serious ball and they were older than I am now and they're just crushing these 18 year old dudes that came in it's like you know it's like more, yeah that's more of what you need to look for and say is there opportunity there where you can get out of the get out of the dorm room get out of the classroom um you know physical activity to relieve some stress and it's going to be available when you at the time that you need it like yeah. we didn't have a 24-hour gym but we had some you know gyms with a lot of you know, open hours, free hours, and it wasn't, like, reserved for the D1 um, yeah. sports team. Right, right. I, I mean, I don't care about sports. I'm not athletically inclined. But, I mean, I would be interested in, like, the gym situation. What kind of programming do you have? What kind of classes? Like, you know, I did, like, this stupid abs class. Whew, no. You know, <laughs> and, like, a water aerobics class just because it was offered. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, if you're not, like, into team stuff, but those are the kinds of things. Like, I think going yeah, to the gym would tell me spin, more than talking to yeah, Ultimate Frisbee again. Yeah, a spin class, <laughs> cycling, whatever, yeah. yoga, whatever. Like, there, whatever is the thing that... Zuma. You know, it, whatever you as the student who's going to be there, whatever you're kind of yeah. interested in, you know. And that's the kind of programming that gets you out, too. So, like, I don't know, Ultimate Frisbee you know, for, or for the record, I did do a little Ultimate Frisbee, not, uh, not connected with classes, but I was also able to take a jogging class for credit. That was awesome. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and some other, you know. So, we, I think the university I'm at and the, and the community colleges I attended in the summer as well had a lot of opportunities for... Yeah physical stuff, that physical activity, um, kinesthetics, yeah. what do you want to talk about, and that had options, and that's what this is aiming at, it's like, is there options besides just going to class? Yeah. Are there options, and as you say, is the, bar is the barrier to entry low, and is it welcoming? Is that, right. Sort of, right. All right, well, on to number three, obviously aimed at parents, you or your kid will probably sit in on a few classes. Hopefully just your kid. <laughs> Ask if it is possible for students to audit classes and if this is common. 
By definition, a class you audit is not one you get credit for, so you are only likely to audit if you are genuinely interested in the material. It's a sign of a strong intellectual community when students regularly seek knowledge without receiving official recognition for their work, and it shows that faculty members encourage this too. Also, find out if you can audit classes without additional fees, which may indicate the administration's feeling about learning for its own sake. Uh, I guess I'm a bad faculty member because I, well, and it's also my subject area, it's not smart to audit a writing class. Because the same way that you don't have to do the work, I don't have to grade. Mm -hmm. And the way you get better at writing is through feedback. And, Fair. Uh, or so well, and, and like a lot of discussion-based classes where you got to do a lot of work outside of class, which right. if I'm auditing, I don't have to do. And then I show up and sit down and I can listen to the conversation, but I'm probably not doing the reading, so I don't understand what's going on. So I'm not really getting as much right. so out of that class. I guess it's probably best for lecture-based courses. True. Then, I don't know. I mean, I mean, what they say about an audit not giving you credit, yes. Mm -hmm. And if you're like just super interested and you're going to take it for not credit, Cool, I guess. But if you really want to learn the material, then why don't just you take, take it for credit? Because you got to do the work to really learn the material. That's yeah. And I, this, that was my first response. This this one was like the one time I should have audited a course was after I completed all the credits for my major, mm -hmm. and I was still finishing up one course, and I just I signed up for another one just extra as something I was interested in, uh, a topic I was interested in, and then ended up like not having uh, time to really devote to this mm -hmm. course. So I should have audited it so it wouldn't have shown up on my, my transcript. <laughs> and, and the other spots you see audits maybe is uh, if it's a community or a continuing education where it's people who have already completed degrees and are coming back to just pick up some more, if it's community members who don't necessarily need to show that they've learned this by a degree. Right. Um, or you want to refresh, you know. Yeah, learn new stuff. And that's not an undergraduate thing. That's a, you know, after your degree. So yeah, uh, I don't know that the audits is a decent proxy for the quality of the education. Um, and I don't know, like, as an advisor, too, there are very few students who I'd say, yeah, I think you should audit this class. I mean, most of my students are struggling to keep up with their required classes. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I think we mentioned this before we started, but usually the point where you're like, oh, hey, you might have some space to audit, might be coming, possibly might be coming in you know, later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for all of us anyway, which spans fine arts, math and science and humanities, and I'm going to guess social science the same way, if it's a legit four-year major, those last two years you were like all in on your major. Mm -hmm. Like I was doing like three, four physics classes a semester, um, I think, I don't remember, it's been a while, but like I spent a lot of time on that. I wasn't going to audit some class for fun because all my time, all my quality time was spent on doing the physics I needed to, to understand it, to progress and to move forward because I was deeply engaged with mm -hmm. that. And like, I did take other classes for my general education, but I wasn't gonna be all like, well, that Greek lit class was really interesting. I'm gonna take another Greek lit cl class just because I'll audit it. It's like, I, that's time that I would have been studying <laughs> that I'm now sitting in class, not- I think if I were trying to evaluate if this is a good fit for my student, I would that would be a waste of a question, yeah. personally. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I encourage students to take stuff they're interested in, but my advice is I encourage them to take the student to take the classes for credit. Right. Because well, again, like so, I, you know, when I look at my requirements for my degree as an undergrad, it's a while back, but I and I I had to take a, a, a geology type of course, and I found a course that was geology of the national parks. Hey, I'm super interested. Nice. I took that as a totally a, a, just an interest course, and was able to put credit toward my major in that. And that's the yeah. direction a person's going towards if you're paying for it. I, I think that it's a limited number of students nowadays who have the the uh, luxury to take superfluous non-credit, um, non, non-degree-seeking courses. And I don't think that's really representative of the type of student we have either. Um, the no, students I'm that. getting are like no-nonsense kind of, I mean, Granted, they want to explore things, but once they've decided, they're like, well, I need to get ready. Like, they're focused on what they want. Mm -hmm. um, well, there's a few, like, people are like, well, I don't want to go. Yeah. But for the most part, my students are very, like, they have it planned, and they want to do this in this order. And I don't know, this kind of just doesn't fit. I, I think it's a, like a small range of students who are, you know, that's very focused, goal-oriented goal -oriented student is not going to necessarily be looking towards this. The student who's struggling should not do this. Mm -hmm. Just like give a pass on an audit because you should be taking that time to bolster your other classes. So there's there's a student somewhere in that middle I guess. I <laughs> which may be interested in this, in which case if you really want it, if you take it for credit usually. <laughs> but that, you know. Yeah. So I think that's... I, that's, I mean, it's not like I don't think they should take it and it's not like the administration... Administration often will use fees for taking more classes as a way to hold students back from doing things which are not good for them. Right. And most, I mean, I've never worked for an institution where you could audit for free. I think you, I think you could do it here as long, I think. I don't know. There's a difference between an official audit and sitting Oh, just in. sitting in? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you could also just ask to sit in. Well, there's that, but like, again, I, I don't think... Why? I get, well, it's the same question. It's like, why would you do that? Why would you do well, that? I, I don't know. Like, I don't... If I have a, a, a choice to spend my free time, I'm going to go sit in another class. I, and, and by the way, not do the, the homework assignments or anything. So That are required to really understand the material. I just think there's limited appeal to that. This yeah. question is, is um, pass. Pass. <laughs> pass. Number three. Number four. On tours, one of the th one thing you will notice and perhaps tire of is the parade of antique buildings with gargoyles, scroll work, and likely no elevators. Uh, oh, so we're going to Hogwarts. <laughs> all are all buildings on campus fully handicap accessible? Buildings of more recent vintage, built on the cheap during uh, architectural dark ages like the 1970s, <laughs> may also be inaccessible. Such buildings are often grandfathered exceptions to accessibility laws like the Americans with Disabilities Act that hold particul uh, particularly everywhere else in public life. I'm sorry, practically everywhere else in public life. You can judge a campus's commitment to diversity and its most vulnerable members by whether it spends the money to make such buildings accessible without being forced to. Hmm. Ask specifically about the building where the president works, which may well be a historic landmark. You can tell a lot about a school by the literal accessibility of its corridors of power. I think this is an interesting thing. Yeah, I like, yeah. actually like this. Thing. I do too, because um, we are kind of falling under that grandfathered stuff in a lot of our buildings. Mm. Oh, I thought no gargoyles and no gargoyles, but yeah. But like, not all of our buildings are. 
I mean, some of them are accessible, but I wouldn't call them easily accessible. Oh, guys, I don't think there's such a thing as grandfathered to ADA. If somebody comes and notices and complains, your school's about to put in an elevator. Don't worry. Well, I was wondering about that because if they are historical landmarks, like, do they, I think they're somehow protected under that. Well, so that just means that um, if it's, there, there. Maybe they'll be putting something up that says this is not accessible, or the the stuff that is required to get to for students is not mm -hmm. through that um, building at all, yeah. and that kind of thing. But you can't, you can't pretend. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, know. I wonder. I've actually had a lot of questions about this because I've noticed this around our campus. So I'm not really sure of the law, but then I always assume that if it was against the law, that we would have already had our butt suit off. Uh, they don't, I mean, they... they Someone's got to raise the lawsuit. It's so not a problem until somebody mentions that it's a problem, and then suddenly we're all scrambling to comply with, with ADA. ADA is a giant gorilla, and I'm glad I'm not a lawyer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so our oldest building on campus... Let me be clear. It's very good. You know, this is good to make our stuff accessible. And when I was in school, we had a... a um, another student down the hall from us who was uh, wheelchair-bound and... You know, she, it was really obvious that just from the way that she had to navigate our campus to get to class, there was only one path across campus that was accessible because of the hills on my campus. Mm -hmm. And that has changed since she was a well, student good. By, the, by the university addressing that. Well, and I've, I've uh, so we had a student who actually like broke her ankle and she was on crutches. Um, and she stopped by my office and she's like, you know, I need to go into Main Hall, which is our, our old building here on campus. Um, and she's like, how do I get to the second floor? Every door has stairs. I know. There's only one, but yeah. there's how many entrances? There's a bunch. There's like six or seven. And there's no signs that say, hey, the elevator's on the east side or whatever side it's on. I have no west. idea. It's on the west. west. It's yeah. hidden. It's hidden between Main Hall and the Fine Arts Building. Right, and so um, I was like, wow. What's that? I said that's frequently how it is, is there's one path, and so if you've got a tight schedule and only 15 minutes to get from here to there for the next class, like, you'll get there when you get there kind of thing. Right. She better have had, like, like turbo on her wheelchair if she needed to get someplace. Right, because, I mean, yeah. And then there are some, we have some ramps, but... Um, if you've ever tried to push anybody up there who was in a wheelchair, you're like, wow, this this uh, incline yeah. is just way too steep. So if you didn't have a motorized wheelchair, oh, I don't think you could do it. Well, I mean, there's regulations on the slope of that yeah. ramp also to make it comply. Like, it's yeah. not even worth building unless you build it to compliance. So I actually really think that this is something people should pay attention to. And I think our students do care about these things. Yeah, I think so too. And I, it, it, one of the questions is like, how accessible is it, and how much effort has gone into it? But like, I'm I'm gonna guess that the location of the elevator at, in our administration building is somewhat dictated by the architecture. Yeah. It's like, where can we accommodate this thing? Well, we had an old English building on when I went to grad school, and uh, it, they made it, they expanded an old chimney shaft to oh. put the elevator in. But it was super narrow then. Yeah, yeah, so I was just like, um, okay. But, you know, it's hard sometimes when these buildings were built in the 1800s and yeah. early 1900s or whatever to, to do this. But. Right. They're, they're right. The modern stuff, if you put in a new building because you donated $70 million for your student to go to, you know, college, then the new buildings will have a, I think the, I, I, believe, I could be wrong, 
but I believe the, the new requirement is that uh, if, if you've got an elevator, which you have to have, then it has to fit a, a, a hospital gurney inside oh. of it. Yeah. This that's, might that's have big. fit one, but that, I doubt that, it. That's a big elevator. To yeah. fit a gurney is a big elevator. Okay, so the one in Main Hall would not, for no, sure. it would not. The one in here won't either, I don't. I've never had another one in here. Well, it's don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> okay, someone's going to be like, no. you don't know. <laughs> don't. So, <laughs> All right, so qu number five. Ask if there is a food pantry for students. This indicates that a significant number of students can't afford to feed themselves, but also that someone on campus has recognized the problem and cares enough to organize help. If the food pantry is run exclusively by students, this might mean that the administration is ignoring the problem and wishing it would go away. Campus food pantries also serve students who can't leave campus during breaks and live too far from the grocery store, so it's also an indicator of campus isolation. I have never heard of this. I, I, I mean, not that I have been particularly looking for I've never student asked, food pantries. I've never thought about it. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because part of the computation of going to college is how am I paying for my room and board. The board part is the board of food that I'm eating, right? Yeah. Um, so are you taking loans for that and doing a, a meal plan through the university cafeteria or are you living off campus and paying your own and do you have you budgeted for that? Right. And I guess this could be a real thing in certain universities, but... And I guess it's interesting to be aware of it. I, I don't know that a university tour guide is going to be knowledgeable on this. And, and if there is a student food pantry, hopefully it would be like the fraternities and sororities doing their public service and helping out the homeless and the, and the needy in, in their own community because that's part of their, their mandate, right? I mean, my thought is, like, if there's a student food pantry, I want to talk to an administrator as to why that is the case. Yeah. Because if you're not providing food for your students or the students that you're admitting can't afford food, then there's a failure yeah. somewhere that, that, and that fault lies with the administration. Yeah. I see, and that's why this is an interesting question to me too because my immediate response to it is defensive and, and like, this can't be a thing, but that makes me think like, maybe it's worth, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's worth looking, yeah. I mean, it's really a thing and my knowledge is, is full on it. I, I, uh, I hope that this is not a thing. Yeah, I, I, I suspect that it is probably much more prevalent than I'm aware of it, which is zero. Yeah. You know, zero awareness of this for me. So um, there's, no, but so there's no food pantry that you're aware of at your campus? No. No. I know the students I could ask about that. But I don't think... But I, I don't think we I have would, one. I would say that, I mean, I'm like 98% sure there's not one. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's like, if you need like professional clothes for an interview, there's a, yeah. there's a closet thing. I mean, more than just a closet, you know, they have lots of clothes to, to pick from so students can find, uh, you know, professional clothes for interviews and things like that. But, you know, that's, I, that's slightly you, different. I still like that though. Yeah. 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 I mean, but part of me is like from the ethics of it is like, if you, if we're admitting, this is a, like, to me, like, oh, there's a food pantry on campus for students who can't afford food. I'm like, that would be a red flag. Why do we need that? Why isn't, yeah, so why are you admitting students whose financial uh, position can't afford food? And if you want those students because they're good students and because, you know, they deserve to go to college like everybody else, why aren't you giving them scholarships for food or giving them, you know, subsidized board or something like that? Like, I'd, like, meal plan, yeah. meal plan, like, financial aid is a thing. FAFSA is a thing. How do you not know that these students are on your campus? 
Right. How are we not identifying and, and connecting these students with other financial connections that will alleviate the same issue rather than right. rather than treating the symptom? Or maybe it's run by the, the administration because they recognize that need and pull some strings and is really great resource. Hey, maybe that's the way it is and that'd be awesome. This just seems weird. <laughs> yeah. It does seem weird. I guess it's a, a good thing to be aware of. I don't know if I'd ask that to the tour guide. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. I would shoot an email to, you know, if I was real serious student about life. the school. Yeah. Shoot, shoot an email to Student Life. They, would, they should know. And like worried about it, then I would ask, but I don't know. Okay, number six. In the dining halls, observe how students behave with staff members swiping meal cards. Swipers are among the few staff members students see on a regular basis. It is not uncommon for people with disabilities or people from other marginalized groups to serve as swipers. Some are genuinely beloved campus figures with whom students are convivial or at least cordial. Students can also be aloof or mocking towards them. Pause and watch a few interactions. I, I guess I would extend this pause and watch the interactions that the students have with the staff. Right. Um, That's where I thought this yeah. was going. <laughs> yeah. Like how yeah. they generally treat people who are, you know, handing them their things or busing their whatever. Yeah, I mean, so the, the housekeeping staff or the, yeah. the kitchen I mean, and staff. At my university, staff. you were able, to, as a student and undergrad, to get a job doing that. And, yeah. And yeah. It was open to whoever was applying, I, I suppose. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was oftentimes it was peers who were swiping at the cafeteria or, you know, those mm -hmm. positions. And, and, but you still, yeah, you want to watch how they interact, how the, uh, what the culture of, of interaction with service workers is. Mm -hmm. uh, that is important. Yeah. Or if they haven't, if you've seen any interactions with um, physical plant, these are the people who take care of the grounds, do... Yeah. If there's electrical work or structural work that doesn't require like building a new building, you know, that sort of a thing. Everything that's taking care of the buildings and the grounds around them, that's not housekeeping, that's physical plan. And so if you watch students interacting with those people, like how do they interact? You know, are they treated with respect or not? Um, I think that's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I would broaden it out and I would say this is, this is an excellent thing that gives you a, an idea about the culture mm -hmm. of the students. And watch a few because you may just sit down while like the big dickhead comes through yeah. and it's like a, a real real snotty and nasty to uh, one of the serving staff and then like the next five people are going to be awesome. Yeah. So, you know, don't just take it at one, like watch a few and see what it's like. And I, that is one of the things as a student, as a, when I'm touring the university I eventually attended, um, I did notice that about the campus was that everybody on campus was really nice, polite, hey, how are you doing? Like um, reaching out and saying hi and not waiting for you to initiate the conversation and the interactions between them and among them was, uh, you know, positive and polite and cool. And that, that made an impact on me versus touring the other universities I was looking at. Uh, you know, I think that is something to look at. Yeah, mm -hmm. makes sense. All right, number seven. There are various ways to gauge the faculty's accessibility and inclusivity. First, you can query any student you meet other than the tour guide. <laughs> because they are going to tell you what they're supposed to tell Well, you. and tour guides are often really connected and involved yeah. with administration and faculty in general. That's the kind of people that end up being tour guides. So ask, how many non-adjunct faculty uh, do you know by name? No, know you by name. Oh, know you by name. Sorry, I misread that. How many... Why does it matter that it's not adjunct? Sorry. Uh, how often do you engage in discussions or debates with faculty who have different opinions from you? Huh? 
Also, try walking the halls in a department your kid is interested in during business hours and count how many faculty doors are open. Okay. I just want to say, Harry Potter did not debate Professor McGonagall. That's all I'm pointing out. <laughs> so, I mean... I think they're trying to get at the non-adjunct faculty because, you know, like, they're like, oh, well, the full professors won't have time for you kind of situation. The adjuncts really don't have time for you because they're Well, but they're, they're taking those classes. Like, I'm just thinking, like, writing, for example. Oh. So if you're going to go to be into the English major... You don't want to talk to a freshman or sophomore because they probably haven't had very many classes with English professors. They probably had classes with grad students or adjuncts. That's true. That's true. But. So, I mean, I think that's a good that's a good question. And you and you like you say, Melody, you want to you want to probably be talking to upperclassmen. Yeah, I would. Because you know, does your biology professor in your six hundred person lecture know your name? No. no. They <laughs> shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, you know, that's... I, that is a good question, and that did help make a decision for me. Uh, and, and again, it was because of the school that I was going to, the School of Music, and that sales pitch of, you mm -hmm. know, you're going to be taking classes with professors and not classes with grad assistants. Mm -hmm. so, you know, was in the line of this of who knows your name and who are you, you know, who are you actually talking with and how close is the contact versus a, a gigantic... School of Music, which was prestigious, um, you, your first two years are, are with, yeah, huge 400-person lectures, uh, so many courses in that. And um, I like this question. I yeah. do, too. I just, I mean, I would ask different questions, I think, than how many non-adjunct faculty mm -hmm. know you by name. I'd be like, do you work closely with professors in any way? Because yeah. sometimes there are... Um, like research opportunities and those kinds of things. We've talked right. about that before. Um, you know, how well do you know your advisor? Or how comfortable are you talking with a professor about a right. topic, just any topic, really? Right. Like it does, like. And that begs the question what we've talked about on our podcast before, which is how many times have you reached out to a non professor? Well, and that's yeah. true, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, like, class size can get at some of this, right? Um, but, but it's also, like, a differing opinion. Like, I teach physics. Yeah. It's, it's not an opinion thing <laughs> for my subject. Like, although we can't, like, I do have conversations with students about stuff where you know, we talk about things, and we do have different opinions on things that are not physics. So, you know, yeah. like, I, I, I'd imagine that they're probably going to be thinking about subject content as opposed to, like, how often do you just have a good discussion whether top, on topic and subject or not with a faculty member is probably yeah. a, a good enough. The open door or not kind of depends on the layout of Yeah, my door is always open and your door is almost always closed. I tend to listen to music while I'm working and grading, and I don't want to be putting out into the hallway yeah. and bugging my neighbors, and so my door is closed. Um, I have a window that you can yeah, get. You have office hours, and like open door is more... I'm taking that as a metaphor, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number eight. Campus libraries are safe havens. They attract a wide array of students, especially late at night and on weekends, in addition to night owls and procrastinators. There are those with day jobs and those whose living quarters are not conductive uh, to study. Conducive. Conducive? Conducive. This font is weird. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Um, ask if there are 24-hour libraries or other after-hour study spaces and whether staff monitors these areas. Uh, schools that accommodate diversity study needs likely value other forms of diversity as well. 
Does your school have a 24-hour library? No. no. We're not big enough, really. Oh, not big enough. I was like, what's the threshold for that? My university did, but it was, you know, it's a huge school, so. Yeah, my alma mater did, but they're a decently large school. I don't know, so like where I got my PhD, they didn't have a 24-hour library, oh, and really? it was like, you know, 17,000 students, but right. it was open till 2 a.m. That's pretty late. Right, which I'm like, gee, it's almost 24 hours, yeah. right? But then during finals week, it was open 24 hours. Yeah, and now we got Uber, so you don't have to worry about getting home. <laughs> um, so we did have a, a like an on-campus late ride call that was arranged yeah. on campus. This was before Uber. Um, so you didn't have to call a cab. You could do a, um, a campus ride share and not get, you know, not worry about walking home mm -hmm. at midnight and getting assaulted. Well, and um, the campus where I was just talking about, there was also like a walking buddy program mm -hmm. or whatever. And so they were on call, and usually two people would come, so the person who walked you home wouldn't have to walk back by themselves, right? Um, I did not use the 24 hour library to those hours when I was a first year student, and maybe I should have. I probably would have done better in school. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's it's a, I think it's fair to say that if you have multiple accommodations for students to study, yeah. you are you're trying to be responsive to students' needs, and having multiple options means that you are thinking about multiple types of students. Right. Right. So you are likely to value diversity. I think sort of, we're a small school, so our our situation is a little different. Our circumstances, so you know is. Don't hold it against us if you come to a campus visit and you're like, you don't have a 24-hour library. It's like, well, you know. Oh, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. right, but there, maybe the library's not open, but there are other places like in the li living halls. That's not in residence halls. halls. <laughs> wow. Living spaces. Living spaces, residence halls, oh. where there are, they have some computer labs in there, and there's also some different rooms and stuff. So, well, it might not be the library specifically. There right. are probably other spaces on campus. Other spaces, or, or what are the hours? Maybe it's not 24 hours. But right, yeah. Well, where do students, somewhere. where do they study if they need to be somewhere after 10? Like, that's a good question. Yeah. yeah, and if I can't be in my roommate because my roommate's a, a problem, but I need to go study and use a machine a computer. Yeah. Um, and for my program, like we had a special music library, which was mm -hmm. obviously not open 24 hours, but I could check stuff out from it and go to the 24-hour library if I planned ahead enough. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Number nine. Finally, ask anyone you meet on campus, would you send your kid here? <laughs> You will not necessarily get an honest answer, but you may be able to discern subtle cues in the response. Years ago, I witnessed a parent ask this question to a professor at an, at an admissions event. The question caught him off guard and he froze. His mouth said, absolutely, but I'm pretty sure the parent could tell what he, how he really felt. Um, I mean... <laughs> I, I mean, that, that is... Gotcha. is that a, does that count as a gotcha question? I guess it shouldn't. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, sometimes it's depends on the kid and the institution, right? right? It like, might be like, my, this institution is not a good fit for my kid, but not because it's not a good institution. It just does, yeah, it's just not focused on the things like a small liberal arts is, generally doesn't have as strong of like a hard science, physics, chemistry sort of a thing. And so, you know, if my, my son was all like, I want to do physics, would I send them here? No. Yeah. Because, because no. like it's me, 
<laughs> like, I do the physics. It's like, I don't want to be your teacher. That's weird. Well, and I don't have the resources to, like, I don't have a physics degree. I didn't, you know, so it's like, yeah. no, but because you can't, you can't do what he wants here. <laughs> we should clarify. You mean your program does not offer a degree. Right, because right. you're right. like, oh, we ha- I don't have a physics degree. And I was like, that sounds weird. So, yes, yes. <laughs> the school doesn't have a physics degree. That's, that's correct. Well, and I mean, that's not an unfair question, I guess, but I mean... Would you send your kid here, meaning, like, so for me, in, 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 uh, I'm thinking, like, that means, uh, would you trust that your student is safe if you sent them here? Not so much as the program a good fit or whatever, but mm. is, your, is my student safe? Is my student going to learn? Is my student going to come out with, uh, you know, a well-rounded degree like they're supposed to? Maybe that's an easy answer. Um, yeah, and, yeah, I can see, like, a professor who's working at uh, Solano Community College um, um, saying, like, no, I want my student to go to UC Davis. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not that Solano Community College is bad. It's like, I have I, I have aspirations for my child. Right. And while my job is not a bad job, it's not at the level that I that my child has aspirations. Well, and some of that's also like we get like tuition breaks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So well, yeah, it's in my kid here. It's half price yeah. <laughs> or well, whatever, it, which is yeah. not really helpful for you in terms of answering that question right. about the quality it, of the school. It, it might be more like. If your kid wanted to go here, would you be comfortable? Yeah. Because it's it frames that a little bit more. Because you're like, would you let yeah, your kid it go? Gives them a, a, an easier answer, a better out to, than to yeah. have to try and backpedal and defend and say like, I don't have any kids and I'm not planning on it or whatever. Right, right. You know, well, my dogs would love it here. I'm sure they would. There are plenty of dogs <laughs> from other owners that on campus. But yeah, it's like. A, a more focused question makes it for a an easier answer because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, maybe you teach at a single-sex institution and their kids are not the right sex. Yeah, so you're, you're going to get a pause, right? And then you're going to get a, like, well, I can't, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that sort of a thing. But saying, like, you know, if your kid wanted to come here, would you would you be okay with that? You know, and that changes that thing. So, like, my kid wants to go to Berkeley, my kid wants to go to Harvard, and they can do it. Would I be happy with them going to this you know, institution, whatever that is, like, if it's not Harvard or Berkeley, the chances are, like, no, I want them to go to the best school they can get into. And so there, you have to sort of process through that stance a little bit, which is going to sound like, no, I hate the school, it's really not great. But really what you're doing is, like, having to sort of readjust your perspective on your child mm-hmm. uh, on the fly and adjusting that question to something else helps. I'm just wondering, I'm reflecting on this right now, like I wonder how if, if they did this in K-12 and shopped around for K-12 schools, and some some parents do, if they're able to like mm-hmm. move, um, th- this type of question is really interesting, really interesting well, for a K-12 answer. But yeah, that's I, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, similar, like this is a little off topic, but like one time when I, I had to sign up for a primary care physician, because the doctor that I had like moved practice or whatever, and there's a whole bunch at the the HMOs what we were in, uh, and I was and I asked the receptionist lady was like, who would you suggest? And she's like, I cannot answer that. Yeah. Like they literally can't like. like literally. They know exactly who would be the best person. Yeah. But they cannot tell me. Yeah. It's, it's like it, it violates their ethics and their rules of how they can deal with. Yeah, it violates with, their rules. I don't. Yeah. You know, Maybe not their ethics, but it violates their rules of dealing with patients. To be all like, this person is horrible, go with this person. 
That's not what's barring them. I think it's more like the legal requirement is barring yeah. them from saying. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I mean, you. Yeah. It's a similarly awkward situation when you ask a faculty member about that. So it might be nice just to get Shoot, if there was a school policy, the professor could answer, like, our school policy is for me to not answer that question. But then, then it... Making that school policy is really suspect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do not answer this question. So, well, that's all we have time for. So a couple of good ones. Yeah. A couple of, by in our opinion, not so good ones. But... Interesting, interesting proof of conversation. They got better. I don't know if they needed all nine of those questions. They might have had some filler. Yeah, and I just would have, I mean, maybe they're thinking these are just additional questions you should consider because I have like 10 questions that would be way more important than those. You know. <laughs> For when your dogs go to college. Yeah, like about programs and stuff and like, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I mean. So these definitely seem like extras on top of those sort of required type yeah. questions. In addition to is that next week's topic? Melody's uh, ten, uh, questions? No. <laughs> no, next week we'll have, um, assuming this all comes out in order, next week we'll have our softball coach. Oh, that's right. Oh, cool. And then the week after that, I have our high school counselors coming. Yeah. Two of them. I'm having nothing, so. <laughs> well, if you would like us to talk about something, then you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D, or send me an email, peter.o.hyland at gmail.com. We can also talk about nothing. We can do that. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> All right, see you next week. Seven listeners are, are canceling right now. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's not true. All right, bye. Bye.